We'll have a reading from Mark 11 in a moment. But first, um, I'll just say a few things. Have you ever found yourself this time of year, some of you will have, I'm sure, found yourself walking behind a donkey? been in the right church in the wrong time place or something that you find yourself walking behind a donkey. I was, many of you will know Laura Handy. Um, she was part of All Saints for quite a few years. I, I saw her yesterday. She's now a curate up in Droitwich. And she was telling me how um, they've got the whole donkey thing going on tomorrow morning. Their donkey is called Jinx, wonderfully, and has a habit, track record of stopping and refusing to go anywhere. And when he eventually gets going, he sets off at such a pace that they can't carry on. So think of Laura this morning. Um, all of that is a way of entering into the story. That kind of thing that um, uh, many churches are in the habit of doing, of walking behind the donkey. It's a way of entering into the story. At the beginning of this week going up into Easter, Holy Week, um, you can, we don't have a donkey. Um, we do have a donkey costume, uh, but no one was up. For, Johnny said no um, uh, for, for wearing that for us. So we, we miss out on that, that pleasure. But as a way of entering the story um, instead, the cheap way, without hiring in a donkey um, or bribing Johnny, is to, um, what I've done is instead of a regular sermon, I've written um, a, a few, three different monologues. One from the perspective of a Roman soldier, uh, one from the perspective of a priest, a priest at the temple, and one from the perspective of the fig woman. The who? The fig woman. Um, if you listen to the reading, you'll notice she doesn't actually appear. I've kind of invented her. I don't even know if that category of vocation existed. It's, that's not the point. I'm not making any sort of scholarly claims at that point. The point is it's a vehicle for um, uh, getting us to think a bit, Again, immersing us in the story, um, and noticing a few things along the way. Um, you up for it? Sound okay? Encouraged by Ivana's word that God will, will not forsake us? <laughs> well, no matter what I do. So um, here we go. Uh, a few essential program notes before Jill brings our reading. Um, firstly, each of our three characters uh, will have a quotation in the midst of it. The, the Roman soldier um, discovers Psalm 118. Um, at the end, the fig girl will um, remember some of the words of the prophets. And the, let's go back, let's go back a couple of slides. Let's not, let's not spoil the, uh, the story. Um, and not jump the gun. Uh, the fig woman at the end discovers the prophets. The temple priest in the middle, he references one of the prophets, Zechariah, that will come up, but then he also um, quotes from a, a text called The Wisdom of Solomon. Now, this is not in your, your Bibles, unless you've got a Bible with the Apocrypha in the middle. This is, uh, an, it is an ancient text. It was written about 150 years um, before Jesus um, happened. Uh, and uh, so it, it, is, it is a real thing. It's really interesting for us because it gives us some sense of the expectations around um, who the Messiah would be. Um, but it's not a text that has the status of scripture, which may come as a relief when, you, uh, when the temple priest quotes from the wisdom of Solomon. Clear? 
Okay, that was the first thing to mention as our program notes. The second thing to mention um, was the structure of Mark. Um, it's, I'm not quite, I can't remember how many chapters long, but the first 10 happened in Galilee, and then you've got that bit, on, and then the journey towards Jerusalem. And then from 11 verse 1, which is where our reading starts, Jerusalem is the geographical location. So the, the text today is this real hinge point in the whole book. Um, we, have, we are arriving in, into Jerusalem. And things shift here pretty quick in Mark's Gospel. You may, in the first 10 chapters, have read some of those confusing bits where it has what they call the messianic secret, where Jesus is like trying to suppress people. You know, don't, don't tell them what happened. Don't tell them who I am. There's this like, and we read it, be like, what? We're supposed to be like telling the world who Jesus is, surely. What's going on here? The point is that Jesus, is, the time has not yet come. But then you get to chapter 11, and the time, as we will see, the time has come. Suddenly, Jesus switches into this brave, provocative, public, um, uh, you know, absolutely revealing uh, who he is. He didn't want to force his hands going up to that, but this suddenly is the moment where it's coming, where it's happening. So there's that to notice. Um, and the third thing to notice is just a little literary technique. Um, this is like English literature all of a sudden. Um, what that Mark does a few times in his gospel is called um, his sandwich. He's got a sort of big taste for sandwiches. Um, and what I mean is how he arranges different stories. So he, he takes two different stories and he shoves one of them in the middle of the other one. And so you read the first half of, of something, like in chapter five, he heals Jairus's daughter. And he hears about this and he's on his way to that. And then in the middle of that, what happens? He heals um, the bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And then he gets, gets there and arrives and heals Jairus' daughter. This sandwich literary technique, a way of telling a story, is a way of intertwining two different stories, putting them side by side, which brings out the uh, fullness of the meaning. It helps us notice things. It's saying, look, there's more going on here. This restoring of the daughters of Israel in that chapter 5 situation is about not just about bringing a little girl from who's the daughter of the synagogue leader, uh, bringing her back from, from death to life. Actually, along the way, he's, he's healing the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, another significant number when you're thinking about the healing of the tribes of Israel. And so there's, there's death to life, there's the restoring of shame, um, there's the renewing of access to God. All of this is going on, and he gets at this by putting these two stories together, okay? In our reading, in chapter 11, there is another one of these sandwiches, and I'll leave it to you to, to hear that as Jill brings our reading now. So I'm stuck. Starting to read in Mark chapter 11 at verse 1, and it's on page 1026 of your Pew Bibles. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. 
Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it wasn't the right season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. <coughs> the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole, the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and do not doubt in your heart it will be done for you, but believe that what you say will happen, it will be done to you. <coughs> Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. The soldier. They have their strange ways, these Jews. I mean, by Jupiter. What a couple of days we've had here in Jerusalem. It all started with the arrival of them Galilean pilgrims coming into town for their big Jew festival. What do they call it? The, um, the layover. No, the Passover. Passover, that's it. 
We could hear all the commotion from our station. They were, they were up there on that hillside making a proper Corinthian-style racket, they were. So I rode out on my horse to see what was going on. And I tell you, in all the Holy Roman Empire, it was the strangest sight. So there they were, coming down the hill, right? And they were all laying down their cloaks on the path. And then they were ripping off the branches and laying them down, making some sort, sort of like special green carpet. And all because of this, right? One of them was coming down on the hill over their special path riding on a donkey. And I could hear them all shouting something. This gets better. Um, what was it? It's some funny word they were all saying. Um, something like Hosanna. It was, a, it was a bit of their Hebrew language, I think it was. And they were all shouting together, Son of David, Hosanna. I didn't have a clue what they were up to. You know, I've weathered, what is it now, four winters here in this strange corner of the empire. But I've never seen them do this for any of those other Passovers. So I got my spear I did and I prodded one of, the, uh, one of the ringleaders of them right in the ribs. And he, he turned around and he looked up at me, suitably scared he was, at least at first. And then I asked him, I said, tell me, who is this, this son of David? And as he looked up at me on the sharp end of my spear, there I was up on my horse, he looked up and, he, and his fear seemed to give way to a kind of wild defiance as this excitement grew in his eyes. He'd gone mad and he, and he said, this, this is Jesus, Jesus the Mashiach. He was giving me more of his Hebrew gobbledygook, but seeing as I correctly judged that this noisy donkey party was obviously going nowhere, um, wasn't going to come to much, I, I let him carry on with his strange frenzy. Sure enough, it all petered out when they got to the city. Although apparently that, the son of David guy did cause a scene this morning at the, the temple. Bad idea, I'm telling you. If you want to upset these Jerusalem locals, do it at the temple. Anyway, the funny thing is this. I went and asked one of my Sadducean contacts um, all about this, this Hosanna, this son of David, Mashiach stuff. And he pointed me to Psalm 118. I should have known it was something to do with their scrolls. Obsessed they are with them. It turns out that what they were saying was, all of those Galilean pilgrims on the hillside, what they were saying was that the guy on their donkey was their king. <laughs> These strange Jews, <laughs> the king of the Jews. That's a good one, actually. I might use that one. Uh, I might use that again. But really, a king on a donkey. I mean, I could have taken him out right then and there as I looked down from him from my horse. Be not deluded. There is one king, one lord. Caesar is lord. And with my peacemaker of a spear in my hand, I am his envoy. This is how you get things done. This here is truth. the priest. So never in all my years at the cathedral, I mean the Sanhedrin, sorry, um, never have I seen anything, anything so preposterous as this. I mean, it's all very well riding into town on a donkey, doing the whole Zechariah stunt thing, you know, as it's written by the prophet, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Okay, so it's one thing to allow your fan club to set you up as the, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ. But then in the very next breath to come in and oppose the temple. I should have had my suspicions last night, of course. I thought it was a bit of an anticlimax at the end of his procession that they just came in, did a quick lap of the temple and then went off back for an early night in Bethany. They were doing some reconnaissance, weren't they? 
And then, of course, they only waited until rush hour before pulling that stunt. Well, he's done it now. And it makes me so mad, disturbing the whole temple system. That's hardly the way that the Messiah is going to behave, is it? I'll tell you how it will be, to quote some of that wisdom of Solomon. Our king, the son of David, raised up to rule over Israel at God's appointed time. He'll be undergirded with the strength to destroy the unrighteous rulers and to cleanse Jerusalem from the Gentiles who trample her to destruction. Someone to overthrow the Romans, that's what we need. To drive out the sinners, to crash their arrogance like a potter's jar, to smash all their substance with an iron rod, to make the nations flee from his presence, to put sinners to shame. So it's safe to say, I think, in my scholarly judgment, that the Messiah has not yet arrived in Jerusalem. The worst of it, though, the worst of it is that the crowds at the temple this morning, they were spellbound by him. And I'll be damned, I'll be damned if I'm going to let this, this Nazarene, throw their temple into disorder. Sure, of course, the young zealous idealist is going to find something wrong with some of those traders there. But seriously, turning over a few tables is not the way to change anything. He has seriously overestimated himself. If he, if he thinks that, that him and his gang of illiterate northerners are going to come and upset our status quo, and he has fatally underestimated the significance, the power, and the standards of this Sanhedrin. Mark my words, he has crossed the line. And for the good of the people, there must now be consequences. The fig woman. I've been awake all night thinking about that Jesus. I didn't think much of him at first, if I'm honest, like. I mean, who comes striding up to the figs at this time of year, expecting to find a snack, and then losing his head when he saw that them leaves on my trees had promised him what, what they couldn't deliver. I thought at first maybe he was embarrassed, but then he looked straight at me. And he didn't look stupid, or like he didn't know exactly what he was doing. He looked like fire and flint, like he was seeing with some sort of fierce clarity. My old man, he had me standing there to stop them Galileans breaking off more branches like they were doing yesterday. But it turns out that that was the lesser of two evils, uh, at least for that, that tree that was nearest the road. <laughs> By next morning, it was unrecognizable. He'd properly cursed it or something with some crazy magic. It was like putting salt on a slug. Obliterated. Never seen anything like it. No wonder everyone's talking about him. <laughs> and they're talking about what he did down at the temple. Some are saying how brave he is. Finally speaking out the truth of what we've all been thinking. Some are saying how foolish he is. Because he could honestly get himself killed if he carried on like that. That's what my brother said. I'd taken my brother down to show him the tree that was like salt on a slug. And we were there. We were there when Jesus and everyone were passing back up, coming back this way. And that was when it really all began to get inside my head. Because as, as they passed by, the whole crowd was there. But then Jesus, he looked through the whole crowd, he looked straight at me. And it was like he said, remember what the prophets say. And then he was gone. 
Remember what the prophets say. Remember what the prophets say? I said out loud and then that started my brother off repeating that rhyme that my dad, uh, that our dad always used to, to say. Remember what the prophets say, that the first ripe figs teach us to obey. But if you're bad, there'll be no fruit, as you'll shrivel your root and get the boot. As my brother repeated this rhyme, I glanced again at our shriveled tree and my heart was racing. So I ran straight over to cousin Ben, he's the clever one, the weird one, he's gonna be a scribe. And I asked him, I told him our rhyme. You know that rhyme that dad always used to say, is, is that in the scripture, is that really in the scriptures? And he laughed at me, he said, no, of course not. But then he paused and he said, well, Jeremiah did say something a bit like that. And then there was, and then Hosea, and Micah as well, and then but he was looking up all of these, on these scrolls, looking up all of these, these verses. And what he found was absolutely astonishing. Jeremiah said, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, even the leaves are withered. Hosea said, I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree. But because of their evil practices, I will drive them out of my house. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. And then the Micah one freaked me out as well. It said this, Woe is me, for I have become one who, after the summer fruit has been gathered, after the vintage has been gleaned, finds no cluster to eat. There is no ripe first frig, fig for which I hunger. Don't you see, this is why I cannot sleep tonight. What do I know? I'm only a fig woman. But could it be that this whole thing was never about figs? Could it be that, that our little tree was actually to do with something so much bigger? To do with, with like what happened at the temple? To do with our nation? The prophets? You know, maybe he was saying something like, you know, it's, it's not the season for figs but it should always be the season for prayer. Always be the season for accessing God. Could it be that the words of the prophet are being fulfilled in him? But then no, of course, in, in Jeremiah, in Hosea, it's the Lord who is gathering the figs. I hope he knows what he's doing. Somehow I get the feeling that he really does. Should we stand? As we enter this story, as we approach Easter, some questions hopefully beginning to loom large in our heads. How are we praying? Is there anything that needs to be cleared away? And if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what is it that is kind of taking up space that should not? Any compromises, inappropriate comforts, any settlements with the status quo? Do we need to recover some youthful idealism? And as we celebrate Easter, surely as Christians, as followers 
of the cross. What needs to be cleared away is violence. When we first got married, I, th- I got a, an iron bar and I kept it by the side of our bed because I thought that's what you did, right? Protect your new wife. Um, it turns out that's not what we do. We love our enemies. We follow that he's got our back. So we are free to love our enemies. Like those paramedics tending to the guy who attacked the Houses of Parliament. That's what we do. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you come and impress Jesus deeper into our lives. We invite you to open our eyes this week. We invite you to shape us. Give us that brave, wild defiance. Give us courage. Give us the excitement and joy that is coming. Amen.